As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what the prophets had spoken Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Uh, We enter today into uh, something that people call Holy Week. And uh, of course, this is... uh, Palm Sunday, and uh, the sense in which uh, what we were doing earlier with the young people, you know, entering into the story, is what we are called to do this week. Uh, we are called to enter into the last week of Jesus, and if you like, to travel along uh, with Jesus and enter into the different events. And if you're looking for something else to read now, you've, you've finished the 40 days of relationships. Can I just encourage you to, you know, to read those gospel passages uh, about the last week of Jesus? Obviously, on Friday, we'll be meeting together and thinking about you know, the events of Good Friday. And then early on Sunday morning, we'll be meeting. And then later on on Sunday, and entering again into those significant, you know, earth-shattering, earth-changing events uh, of Jesus' life. But to enter into the story is what we are called to do. As God's people, we are part of that ongoing story. So uh, that's the challenge in Easter week. And again, passages of scripture that we are so familiar with because we do do it every year. Uh, But it's a case of allowing God to speak to us afresh and uh, looking at these passages and reading them perhaps in a different translation to bring Uh, new insights and new light to familiar passages that we're very familiar with. As a special blessing, uh, I don't think you're going to get this every week, but I have done you some notes, uh, even though we finished the 40 days. How's about that? eh? Just as a special blessing for you this Sunday, uh, for those of you that that want to use them. And uh, as we look into this um, familiar passage of Jesus entering uh, Jerusalem, there's so much in these uh, scriptures and so much that we can miss, uh, not just because of the f- familiarity, but because of our unfamiliarity, you know, with the fact that we don't ride on donkeys, um, we don't go into the temple to worship, we don't have that sort of uh, experience. So, the, while the story is familiar, uh, Matthew is telling us things that are really quite unfamiliar to us. And so, uh, I just want to pick one or two things out. I'm really, this morning, I'm thinking about how people reacted to Jesus as he entered into Jerusalem. How the different people uh, reacted to Jesus. And whether we can see similar reactions to Jesus in our days and our times. And the first thing I want to point our attention to 
uh, is the commitment of the disciples. The commitment of the disciples. That's your first uh, C, if you're doing the notes. It's the commitment of the disciples. And right at the beginning of Holy Week, uh, the last week of Jesus' life, notice... Uh, very often we, you know, we, we have a go at the disciples and later on in the week we'll see how disciples can get it uh, wrong. Uh, but let's celebrate the fact that very often the disciples did get it right. And uh, disciples, of course, the very nature of a disciple is that you do the things that Jesus asks you to do. Even if they're rather strange things. You know, hands up if God's asked, if asked you to do something rather strange. Uh, something that you didn't feel particularly uh, comfortable about. Uh, and Jesus, of course, uh, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. In one of the, uh, the, uh, the books that I was looking at about this passage, he said, you know, this is, this is akin to your pastor telling you to go, and go, go, in, go into the village of water and see if you can find a car and just take it. And if anybody asks you what you're doing, just tell them that the pastor needs it. Uh, you know, it's that kind of thing that Jesus was asking. And the disciples uh, are obedient. Uh, they follow Jesus' instructions. They do what Jesus asks them to do. And uh, it's important to note that because so often, um, instead of doing the things that Jesus asks us to do, we want to do the things that we think are a good idea. You know, I'm not the first person who, in church life who thought he'd had a good idea. Uh, lots of us think we have good ideas. And what we've got to be careful is to make sure that our good ideas are God ideas and not Richard ideas, or John ideas, or Peter ideas, or whoever ideas. Because we've got to be doing the things that Jesus asks us to do. And to do the things that Jesus asks us to do, we've got to know what it is. And that's why we do some of these, you know, 40 days of whatever it is, and go through things that are very familiar to remind us that that is our calling, to be the people of God, to find our identity in Jesus Christ. And here in Palm Sunday, we find people being obedient. And the disciples are obedient because of their commitment to Jesus. They're totally committed. They've left things behind and they follow Jesus. And when Jesus asks them to do something, rather than question, which is our immediate response, isn't it? When God asks me to, to do something, very often my first response is to come up with all sorts of excuses, uh, you know, why I shouldn't do that. Uh, certainly when I was being called into ministry... I could come up with 101 excuses why I shouldn't have been a Baptist minister. And I did, and I said to people, uh, people that challenged me about thinking about ministry, I came up with all sorts of wonderful ideas, uh, excuses why I wasn't the right person to be a minister. But at the end of the day, I followed what I felt God was calling me to do. And that's what the disciples do here. Um, the commitment of the disciples is seen in that they did exactly what Jesus Ask them to do. And they find this guy. Uh, and uh, hey, he lets them walk away with not just one donkey, but also a colt. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, uh, uh, if, if, if you look at, at Matthew, you have to smile sometimes, don't you? Because 
Um, those of you that know Matthew well will know that Matthew's very keen uh, for us to know that uh, that, that the, these things are happening just as uh, was said. And very often you'll find Matthew, you know, quoting the, the, the Old Testament. But the disciples um, went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. And I've got this comical picture in my mind of Jesus trying to sit on, on, on two donkeys just to make sure he fulfills this Old Testament prophecy so that when Matthew comes to, 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 to write, he can, he, can, uh, he, can, he can put it. And of course, uh, Matthew's quoting from, uh, from Zechariah. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your kings come to you gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt to the foal of a donkey. And uh, maybe here Matthew's... Uh, uh, wanting us to to recognise that, that the important thing is, and, and while I'm I'm kind of uh, trying to make a, a bit of fun out of it, there is an important point that what Jesus uh, was doing here was something that was prophesied. Unlike us this morning, he wasn't making it up as he went along. Uh, Jesus was fulfilling prophecy, and of course, um, Jesus wasn't only fulfilling prophecy. Uh, this was going to get Jesus into a lot of trouble. One of the things that we don't realize is that the people in Jerusalem, uh, when they saw Jesus riding in on a donkey, they would have known about this prophecy. They would have known about what, uh, what was written in the Old Testament, about the fact that your, your king will come to you riding on a donkey. Normally kings came riding on horses, you know, with great armies behind them. And so when Jesus uh, tells his disciples to go and fetch to, uh, to, to a couple of donkeys, um, he's doing something very significant. He's, he's sending out a message that the people would have recognized. And the excitement of Jerusalem was the fact that they recognized, they'd heard about Jesus. This is the first time Jesus goes to the capital city. This is the first time Jesus enters Jerusalem. And he wants to make... Uh, an impact, and he does it by riding in on a donkey. And the people recognize the significance of that. And of course, the uh, the crowds come. So the commitment to the disciples is that they follow what Jesus asks them to do, and our job is to do the same. If Jesus tells us to go and fetch a couple of donkeys, then that's what we do. Um, the second, uh, The second thing I notice is the cheers of the crowd. The cheers of the crowd. The crowd were excited. One of the things, again, that we need to remind ourselves is that the Jews had been waiting for a Messiah for a long time. And there had been all sorts of people that had come along. And uh, is this the Messiah? Is that the Messiah? Is he the Messiah? So there was an expectancy uh, in Jerusalem that the Messiah would one day come. And so the excitement that we see here, the cheers of the crowd, is that they're thinking the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Should we try that again? Okay. I think they probably did it with just a little bit more... Enthusiasm because they were genuinely excited about what was happening. They were genuinely excited that this could possibly be the Messiah. 
And so they grabbed the palm branches, they threw their cloaks on the ground. But you know what Hosanna means, don't you? Hosanna literally means savers. Savers. And no doubt some of the people there were thinking, you know, savers from these Romans that are occupying our city. Just as the people in Ukraine might be shouting out, you know, to the world, savers from this big nation that's hovering and threatening and wanting to uh, take land of us. The people in Jerusalem were shouting out savers and some of them would have no doubt had this picture of a Messiah that was going to come and if you like, kick the Romans out and make Jerusalem and Israel great again. They were looking for a king like David who was going to be a mighty warrior. And maybe that explains uh, you know, the crowd cheer when they think they're getting what they want. When they see the king coming in, they're excited. And maybe they're a little bit like a football crowd, you know, who only sings when they're winning. I notice some of the Burnley fans are not quite so, uh, so joyful this morning. But there's hope. Don't give up yet. There's hope. And there's a sense in which, of course, this is what our message, Jesus brings hope about this messianic prophecy as he comes into the city and the crowds shout, Lord, save us, Hosanna, Hosanna. And people still want saving today. People still need saving and there are still people that are shouting, save us. It might not be save us from the Russians, it might be save us from poverty, save us from this, save us from that. People are still looking for a saviour. But the danger is that we look for a saviour that will do exactly what we want him to do rather than a saviour who will do what is needed. And of course, Jesus was going to save them, uh, but not in the way that they expected. Jesus was going to save them by dying for them on a cross, but it certainly wasn't what the people were expecting. And if we ever wonder how one week the shouts can be shouting, you know, Hosanna and celebrating, and the next week shouting crucify, uh, maybe that has something to do with it. When Jesus doesn't do the things that they want him to do, uh, the crowd turns. And some of you will be in a crowd that's turned, and you know what that's like uh, when the crowd turns nasty. But on this day, the crowd was excited. They were cheering and uh, celebrating as Jesus comes in humbly on the back of a donkey. And then the next C is uh, the curiosity of the city. The curiosity of the city. Um, When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Who is this? The crowds asked. Who is it? And it was a genuine question that they wanted to know. Is this the Messiah? Is this the one that we hoped for? Is this the one that was promised? And I don't know about you, but I I find that there's still a curiosity about Jesus. That people are still curious. Are you a Baptist minister? That's strange. What what made you want to be a Baptist minister? Oh, you're a Christian. Why, Why are you a Christian? What's that all about? What are you doing at Easter? Oh, we're going out with a family. We're going to church to celebrate that Jesus is risen. What's that all about? People are still curious. 
We've, been, we've had it drummed into us that people don't want to know, haven't we, if we're honest. We've got this idea that people aren't interested. That's not my experience. I think people are quite curious about faith, about Jesus, about the church. And I think if we engage with them and tell them, you know, this week if people ask you, you know, what are you doing at Easter? Be bold and say, well, I'm going to church to celebrate the fact that Jesus is risen. And uh, you might get a different response than you imagine. You might find there's a curiosity. And you can tell them if there's a curiosity because people start to ask questions. Well, why would you do that? Do you actually believe in that sort of stuff? There is still a curiosity. People are curious about Jesus. How is it that 2,000 years later, people are still following this Jesus? People are still doing the same thing that those disciples did in following Jesus. Why is that? There's a curiosity. And people still want to know who Jesus is. People are still genuinely interested because if Jesus is who the Bible says he is, then that has significance for every single living person on this planet. And so there is this curiosity. And people still want to know, you know, who is Jesus? And uh, the, the, the challenge is that we can paint a picture of Jesus in the lives that we live. We can show people Jesus by doing the things that we've been learning about in these last 40 days. By demonstrating that love in our relationships with one another and in the way that we treat people, in the way that we don't interrupt people, in, in the way that we're genuinely concerned and compassionate we can demonstrate something of Jesus' love in our own lives. So we can answer that question, who is Jesus? Because we know him. Uh, there's no one better to talk about Jesus than somebody that actually knows him. There were obviously lots of people in the crowd that weren't sure. They knew about the prophecies. They, 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 they could make the connection between somebody riding into Jerusalem on, on a donkey, but they were still uncertain. Many of us have a certainty about our faith. We're absolutely sure who Jesus is. We're absolutely convinced that, yes, he is the Messiah, the chosen one. And we want to live that out. And we want to share that. So there's the curiosity of the city. And then, of course, uh, Jesus moves on and into the temple. And there is the cleansing of the temple. The cleansing of the temple. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. How many of you in your small groups, when you talked about anger, uh, referred to this passage? You know, this, this kind of, uh, it's okay to be angry because Jesus got angry. Uh, let's hope you didn't come to that conclusion. Well, actually, it is okay to be angry, isn't it? It's okay to be angry if we get angry about the right sort of things. And again, uh, Jesus has given them this picture of the Messiah coming on the donkey. And then he goes into uh, the temple, which of course is the heart of Jerusalem. The place of the worship. And the place in the temple where these money changes were going on, it was the, the outside court, sometimes called the courts of the Gentiles. And this was the place where the Gentiles were actually allowed to go in and worship God. And one of the things that Jesus was so frustrated and angry about was the very place where the Gentiles, the outsiders, could go had been turned into a marketplace. Imagine trying to, 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 to pray when people are selling, you know, doves and sheeps and all the, the commotion of the money changers. 
Imagine trying to, to have a, a quiet moment in the middle of all that. And Jesus was, was angry because they had turned the house of God into something that it was never intended to be. And so this is, we've seen Jesus the king riding into Jerusalem, and now this is Jesus the prophet speaking against the temple and what the Jews had turned it into. And again, there should be a challenge to us, because just as Jesus cleanses the temple, you know, we know that the temple, Jesus says, is is our bodies, that the Holy Spirit resides within each one of us. And just as Jesus had to cleanse the temple in Jerusalem, you know, in what sense do some of us need cleansing? Because we've allowed all sorts of things uh, to go on that are not really holy and not really right. And of course, <clears throat> the, uh, the, the, the money changes were there because, you know, you had to have the right currency. Uh, they were basically ripping people off making them buy the doves and and the lambs uh, from them rather than outside. You know, it's a bit like uh, if you stop at a service station on the motorway. You know, you you end up paying five times as much, don't you, that you would do anywhere else. And this is what was going on in in the temple. Uh, There was corruption in the temple because their people were being ripped off in the very place where they were supposed to come to find God. They were being taken advantage of. And one of the bits that, I, that sometimes we miss uh, when Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer and you're making it a den of robbers, the bits that we probably miss is verse 14 when it says, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. So in the midst of getting angry and, and un, 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 overturning the tables and, and, and upsetting the money changers, Jesus then turns and, and heals a few people. And so he takes on, having taken on that kingly role, riding into Jerusalem, the prophetic role, telling people that they are uh, not doing what God wanted them to do, he then turns into the priestly role, because this is what was supposed to be going on in the temple. People were supposed to find healing when they came into the house of God. Not find that they were going to have to pay a load of money. And we see this going on in all this turmoil. There's Jesus the king, there's Jesus the prophet, and Jesus the priest. And people find healing. And the church, you know, should be a place where broken people can come and find that healing that Jesus wants to bring. Um, You know, we get a lot of broken people in church, and I'm glad. You know, sometimes uh, in every church that I've been, there's been all sorts of people uh, that perhaps don't fit easily into society. And I think we must be doing something right if those people find a place in the house of God, in the church of God. Because Jesus welcomed people in and he welcomed broken people. He welcomed outsiders, he welcomed lost people. And that is, of course, what we are called to do. So the cleansing of the temple. And then finally, there's the criticism of the chief priests. The criticism of the chief priests. But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Which basically means they didn't like what was going on. They were, they were cross. They were angry that these children were offering 
praise and worship to Jesus. Interesting to note, isn't it, that that Matthew says they saw the wonderful things he did. And yet the way that they interpreted what Jesus was doing didn't fit into the way that they understood God. And there's a real challenge there, isn't there? Because the, the Pharisees and chief priests were so sure that they were doing the right thing, that even when Jesus walked amongst them and they saw Jesus doing these wonderful miracles, they saw the response of the crowd, they still rejected Jesus. And there's a real challenge to us there, you know, because um, sometimes we might see what God is doing. And sometimes we can be critical because it doesn't fit into our nice, neat package of, of how God ought to behave and how God ought to act according to the gospel of Richard or the gospel of yourself. We so often, don't we, uh, have an idea of what God is like. And if, and if something happens that doesn't fit into that picture, it's so easy to reject it. And, you know, we, I'm always challenged when we come to the chief priests and Pharisees because whether we like it or not, we're the chief priests and Pharisees of our day, uh, especially if you stand in my position and teach. And there's a real challenge, you know, to, to make sure that we do see what Jesus is doing and we do recognize it even when Jesus is doing things that maybe make us feel uh, uncomfortable. And the chief priests were uncomfortable with what the children were doing. And that they say to him, don't they? Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus replied, yes, have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. And so Jesus comes as a king and he enters Jerusalem. He comes as a prophet and he overturns the moneylenders' tables. He comes as a priest and he offers that healing to the broken. And he comes as Lord and Saviour who accepts the worship of his children. And so there we have our King. And the question is this week that we are to take away is, is Jesus King of our lives? Have we made Jesus King of every area of our lives. Enter into the story this week. Read those familiar passages and find your place as a child of God. Let's pray.